Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Thanks, Dan. And I'm so glad you've tuned in today. I've named this episode The Ugly Stepchild Named Mysticism. Most everyone has heard of the fabled Cinderella. She was the rejected stepchild of a ruthless stepmother and her two daughters. Cinderella was despised by the family and almost treated like a slave. Of course, Cinderella, as most fairy tales, ends the victor with her prince charming and they live happily ever after. However, our stepchild doesn't have so fine an ending. Mysticism is not the fair and beautiful princess trapped in poverty waiting for her handsome prince. Oh, no. Mysticism is, in every sense of the word, an ugly and persistent problem that has plagued the church from its earliest days. Now, what does mysticism mean? Simply, it means the belief that one can, by secret methods or ancient rites or visions, experience ecstasy through union with God. These moments of ecstasy can be defined as alternate states of consciousness, where a person can even lose awareness of physical surroundings consumed with a direct and immediate intuition of what they call a deity. They supposedly experience God in a way that's not usual or common to other Christians. Now, Is there really anything wrong with desiring to experience God? No, not at all, unless you do so by circumventing biblical truth. And this is the problem with Christian mysticism. Many of the mystics advocate emptying the soul and the mind so you can be full of the consciousness of God. They believe true communion with God is only found through a knowledge that does not come through the intellect, but by intuition. And this is absolutely opposed to scriptural teaching. To be conscious of God comes by filling the mind with the truth of God's Word and believing it. More on that in an upcoming episode. Mysticism is not just found in Christian circles either. It's the centerpiece of many other religions. Both Buddhism and Hinduism speak of becoming one with the cosmic deity, being totally free of the limitations of the physical realm. Pantheism is a form of mysticism because pantheism teaches that all physical matter is infused with God, and everything is a part of God. Therefore, to experience God, all you have to do is become one with nature. Shamanism, with its dependency on communication with spirits, is a form of mysticism. So, you can see, to be a mystic is not something to be coveted. And yet, through the years, there have been many who claim to be Christian mystics, men and women who experience communion with God in a way very few had discovered. And no doubt some did. However, not all who claim to have experienced God do. There is an elitist spirit that pervades so many who pursue these mystical avenues. They believe there's a secret path to godliness, and they are one of the very spiritually few who have found it. 
Now, friends, this is exactly what Paul forbid the Colossae Christians. He told them they must avoid this. He says in Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, that is, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Paul states clearly that Christians need nothing beside Christ, that they are complete, lacking nothing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Don't let anyone deceive you to think that you're missing some higher Christianity. No, there is nothing higher than Christ himself, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. However, the question still remains, and I want you to listen and be very honest with yourself. Are you experiencing Christ in his word? by His Spirit. Sadly, a good many Christians are not experiencing the fullness they have in Christ, but that too is a topic for another episode. As you continue in Colossians chapter 2, you discover that in verse 16, the Apostle Paul warns against another form of mysticism, Jewish mystics who claimed the deeper life was through a Christianized form of Judaism. He says, beginning with verse 16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Finally. Paul warns against asceticism. Asceticism is a practice of a severe discipline of self-denial in order to achieve greater communion with God. Long fasting, self-enforced isolation, poverty, and all forms of religious self-deprivation are to be avoided. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men? These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Through none of these forms of mysticism is the way to godliness and blessed communion with God. Friend, you've already been united to Christ by faith, and we should be enjoying His fullness by faith in what the sacred scriptures has said about our Lord 
and his gospel work. Now, what about Orthodox Christians who taught a mysticism that they claimed to be biblical and that we know these men were solid and reformed? Some of these men are quite well known as some of God's most fruitful servants in church history. For example, let me begin with Martin Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Lloyd-Jones began as a medical doctor in a prestigious practice in London, England in the late 1920s. He was converted and later felt a call to preach the gospel, and he shocked London when he resigned his medical profession and took a small church in his homeland, Wales. And while there for ten years, the Lord used Lloyd-Jones to see revival and awakening in that community. From Wales, the good doctor, as he was affectionately known, was asked by the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England, to come. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan asked him to be his assistant. Eventually, Morgan retired, and Lloyd-Jones was the pastor for 30 years. And he's known as one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. Some have even called him the last Puritan. In a sermon Dr. Lloyd-Jones preached in 1956, he said the following as he passionately advocated for experiential Christianity. It's a very lengthy quote, so please grab the powers of attention and stay with me. Lloyd-Jones said, There are many who do not hesitate to say that all this sets too high a standard, and, and they go further. They say that all this is nothing but mysticism, an unhealthy state in which throughout the history of the church certain people have fallen, having turned in upon themselves and become introspective and self-centered. These are people, they say, who spend their time in feeling their spiritual pulse and enjoying experiences, who never do anything practical and are of no value to anyone. Such people, they say, just live on experiences, whereas we are meant as Christians to believe and know the teaching which we have. In other words, just to see the truth externally in the Scriptures and to apply it in our daily lives. We're not meant to know and to talk about immediate and direct experiences and of loving Christ personally. All that, they say, suggests a fevered imagination, not to say a condition which sometimes even crosses the borderline and becomes psychopathic. Lloyd-Jones continues, There are, unfortunately, even many evangelical Christians who deny that God has any direct dealings with men today and who hold feeling and emotion at a discount. They frequently substitute for true emotion a flabby sentimentalism they're afraid of the power of the Holy Spirit and so afraid of certain excesses which are sometimes found in mysticism and in certain people who claim to have unusual experiences of the Holy Spirit that they quench the Spirit and never have any personal knowledge of Christ. Indeed, they often go so far as to deny the possibility of such a knowledge. Lloyd-Jones says of this, This is obviously something with which we must deal. For if we hold this particular view, we shall clearly never see the knowledge of which the apostle is speaking, and therefore shall never have it. How then do we 
answer this charge? The Lord Jones answers his own questions. He says, there is, of course, a false mysticism. This becomes quite clear in the books on the subject and especially in the biographies of certain mystics. There is a morbid, introspective, selfish, impractical, and useless type of mysticism. But because certain mystics have been guilty of such things, we should not allow ourselves to be blinded to that which is a true and healthy mysticism, a mysticism which is taught in the Bible itself. There is always a danger of rejecting a true teaching because we dislike a false presentation of it. And because of certain excesses in the case of uh, some mystics, they dismiss mysticism as a whole. Well, I'll conclude from the Lloyd-Jones sermon with this last citation. Please listen. Jesus said, If I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I go away, I will send him unto you. How can it be expedient for the disciples that he should leave them in the flesh and go away from them in the body? How can that be true if it is not possible for the Christian to know him immediately and directly? Now that is an all-important question. I agree with Lloyd-Jones. The question ought to be asked. How can that be true if it's not possible for the Christian to know God immediately and directly? And I want you to pay attention. Note, know him immediately and directly. This is at the core of any kind of mysticism, that deity can be known immediately and directly. And what that means is this, that God can be known firsthand without any intermediary, without any means. He can be known by you as he communicates to you personally. Now, here's my question. Was Lloyd-Jones being unbiblical? Was he himself being a carried carried away into a form of fanaticism and emotionalism? And I say clearly and definitively, no, not at all. Now, let me explain. I understand completely what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying, and I agree with him explicitly, and so with the whole of Orthodox evangelical church history. But the problem is the word mysticism has evolved and changed over the last 65 years since Lloyd-Jones preached that sermon. In a previous episode, I quoted the Presbyterian theologian John Murray, a contemporary of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who spoke of an intellectual mysticism. He, too, used that word. And others have used similar terminology to distinguish heretical mysticism from the genuine, such as the words, biblical mysticism. But the problem with the word mysticism is that it has changed into a kind of global spirituality that seeks to be set free from any form of dogma or doctrine. Even supposed Christians are teaching that one can be very spiritual apart from biblical doctrine, local church life, and orthodox Christianity. It's entirely a mysticism that is based upon pure intuition and imagination. In addition, since the days of the Murrays and the Lloyd-Jones, 
the New Age movement came into its own during the 1960s and 70s and has established itself as a cultural distinctive, having much influence over modern culture. The New Age movement is a hodgepodge of Eastern mysticism, paganism, and the occult, and this has heavily influenced the use of the word itself. One other movement that's had a great deal of impact on what would be called Christian mysticism is the charismatic movement of the late 20th century. This faction of evangelicalism stresses a de-emphasis of theology and an overemphasis on spiritual experience. A charismatic website cites their position honestly, and I quote it, Verbatim, quote, doctrine is subordinated at the expense of shared experience. Amos Young, a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, explains this as, quote, a theologically or dogmatically untethered pneumocentric spirituality. In other words, as one assistant pastor explained in a church meeting for the revision of a statement of a traditional Baptist code of beliefs to a more charismatic one, quote, we don't need a theology statement, we need the Holy Spirit, end of quote. Now that came from a charismatic, it's an honest admission that experience does rule over doctrinal propositional truth from Scripture. Experience with the Holy Spirit takes precedence over the revelation of Scripture, and therefore, one can have any kind of feeling or incident and it not have to be brought under scriptural examination or accountability. John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Community Church near L.A., California, said, Today's mysticism is defined as, quote, a deeper, higher religious experience based on personal intuition. He continues, do you know what it really is? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's just something you think is something. It's not what you think it is. And yet people think it is what they think it is. It is sheer imagination at best. And at worst, it's courting demons. End of quote. As you can see, Lloyd-Jones and those before him used the word mysticism in a very different way than it's used today. The word has so much baggage attached to it that it's best probably just to forsake it and simply communicate what the Bible says about communion with God. That's what this podcast is all about. I prefer a term that Justin Taylor, in an article he published on the Gospel Coalition website in 2015, uses. He calls it biblical spirituality. Sound familiar? But before Taylor, Don Whitney was using the same term. Uh, Don is a professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He'd already created the Center for Biblical Spirituality long before Taylor used that term. About three years ago, Don Whitney and I had lunch together. Don is the author of several great books, including Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life and Praying the Bible. And in that conversation, Don shared his angst with me concerning this word mystic. I had shared with him that I thought we had to fight, that we should fight, as Lloyd-Jones argued, for a true Christian mysticism. 
We discussed that men like Lloyd-Jones and A.W. Tozer actually referred to themselves as mystics. Wisely, though, Whitney showed me that the terminology of Lloyd-Jones and Tozer had changed significantly since they lived and ministered. And along with that, you have the problems of Roman Catholic mysticism. So he argued that it was time to drop the word in order to not confuse people. In his book, Don's book, Simplify Your Spiritual Life, he proposed this as a definition of biblical spirituality. I'd like to share it with you. He said, quote, Spirituality is the pursuit of God and the things of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with God's self-revelation, that is, the Bible, end of quote. And that, my friend, is the only real basis of fellowship with God you can have. The Bible does not teach Christians or to seek spiritual secret knowledge or intuitively discover a higher path or release the reality of suffering through mystical meditation. We are to experience the Lord Jesus as we trust in His Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of mysticism Lloyd-Jones and others before him advocated. When through meditation on the truth of God by faith, one's heart is warmed by that truth. This is the very essence of communion with God. God is to be experienced, but... Not every experience is God. Men like Tozer were not like the modern mystic, especially the charismatic of today. He refused to believe anything that was not tethered to the Bible. He wrote, quote, It is important that we get still to wait on God, and it is best that we get alone, preferable with our Bible outspread before us. Then the happy moment when the Spirit begins to illuminate the Scriptures and that which has been only a sound or at best a voice now becomes an intelligible word, warm and intimate and clear as the word of a dear friend. One of the fundamental problems with so-called Christian mystics is that they try to experience God without any meditation. Any experience that is not firmly grounded in the fact that you and I are not sufficient in ourselves to present ourselves to God is unbiblical. You cannot come to God simply with all of your engineering. No, the depravity of our nature must be taken into account. Any system that does not take into account our depravity is not properly grounded. And a good deal of modern mysticism is just like the old mysticism of the Gnostics that the apostles in the first century had to refute. The Gnostics were professing Christians who believed only the spiritual realm is pure, and therefore, because they were spiritual, they were without sin. Of course, they still sinned. But when they did, they blamed it on their physical bodies, thus divorcing themselves from their bodies. Today, anyone who believes he or she is naturally, inherently acceptable to God is blatantly wrong. We still need a mediator, an advocate, which is Christ the Lord. I cannot come to God based upon any goodness I may claim. I'm to come only through 
Christ. And any communion I have with God comes through the same Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews states that the way God has spoken to us in the last days is through His Son. God, he says, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. The Bible is the testimony of Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it is uniquely singular in its presentation. The glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if we're to hear God, it will be through the Spirit-filled mediation and meditation of the Bible and by faith in its revelation. There is no unmediated fellowship or communion with God. This podcast is not another form of some kind of Christian mysticism. I reject that completely. But I do not reject that God directly and immediately communes with me through His Word and by His Spirit. And in the weeks to come, we will unpack this sweet fellowship that is ours through the mediation of Christ. Well, before I sign off, I would like to tell you about my new book, The Fight of Faith, How a Christian Can Experience Assurance of Salvation. This is a helpful book, not just for those who struggle in this area, but for those who are trying to help others who often struggle with assurance. I approach the subject of assurance by getting to the root of the problem and addressing it, and you can order the book through our website, realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters is all one word, lowercase, realtruthmatters.com. Please take a few moments and rate the podcast on the platform you find us. This helps make the podcast more visible for others to find. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, thank you for tuning in today. And may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.